Welcome to Gravetop Church. I'm your host, Homer Hargrove, and we are continuing our series about healing from trauma. Last week, we talked about recognizing and processing pain, and today we're going to talk about the idea of letting go of that pain. Today's title is I'm Stuck. And so often when it comes to trauma, we can feel stuck in our emotions, even stuck in the moment of trauma. We can feel stuck in our lives because one of the most difficult yet necessary steps in order to heal from trauma is forgiveness. And we're going to analyze that idea of forgiveness through the story of Esau today. And it's so hard to forgive sometimes because it feels like you won't ever be justified in your forgiveness if you simply let it go. But holding on to bitterness is like drinking poison but expecting the other person to be hurt by it. And as we analyze the life of Esau, we're going to examine how he was able to get unstuck from his trauma through forgiveness. We're going to talk about how bitterness can consume your, uh, consume you and sabotage your relationships. And we're also going to unpack how redemption is better than revenge. The, the reason that this topic is so important to talk about is because it is nearly impossible to find true healing for your soul without forgiveness. Even if we learn how to process our trauma, we will stay stuck in it if we don't learn to let go of the pain from it. It's only when what caused pain is fully removed that we can the healing process can truly begin. Let me share kind of a a full background of some moments of Esau's life that were traumatic. And we're going to look at even from the moment he was born in Genesis chapter 25, verse 21 through 34. It says, Isaac, who is Esau's dad, pleaded with the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was unable to have children. The Lord answered Isaac's prayer and Rebekah became pregnant with twins. But the two children struggled with each other in her womb. So she She went to the Lord to ask about it. Why is this happening to me? She asked. And the Lord told her, The sons in your womb will become two nations from the very beginning. The two nations will be rivals. One nation will be stronger than the other. And your older son will serve your younger son. And when the time came to give birth, Rebecca discovered that she did indeed have twins. The first one was red at very red at birth and covered with thick hair like a fur coat. So that she they named him Esau. Then the other twin was born with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So they named him Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when the twins were born. And as as the boys grew up, Esau became a skillful hunter and he was an outdoorsman. But Jacob had a quiet temperament preferring to stay at home. Isaac loved Esau because he enjoyed eating the wild game Esau brought home. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Now, I want us to pause here, and we can see right at the get-go, there is this this tension, this confrontation between Esau and his brother. From the moment that they were inside their mother's womb, they were fighting with one another. And the moment that they were being birthed, we see that Jacob was grasping at Esau's heel and trying to hold him back in life. And it goes on to say that one day when Jacob was cooking some stew... Esau arrived home from the wilderness, exhausted and hungry. And Esau said to Jacob, I'm starved. Give me some of that red stew. This is how Esau got his other name, Edom, which means red. All right, Jacob replied, but trade me your rights as a firstborn son. 
Look, I'm dying of starvation, said Esau. What good is my birthright to me now? And Jacob said, First you must swear that your birthright is mine. So Esau swore an oath, thereby selling all his rights as his firstborn to his brother Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and lentil stew, and Esau ate the meal, then got up and left. He showed contempt for his rights as a firstborn son. Now, I want us to just pause here for a moment. And let's look at Esau in this moment. Esau is highly criticized for making a kind of a big transaction for something so trivial, something so permanent, for something so temporary. And that's a whole nother message about how, how we trade, uh, how, we, how the trade-off is for sin and pleasure. But I want us to understand that for Esau in this moment, it says that he was out all day and that he, he literally feels like he's dying of starvation. And I don't know if any of y'all have been hungry, like actually hungry where you haven't eaten and to where you, you had not had food and excess, uh, accessible for you. But to be literally hungry, dying from thirst, dying from hunger, I mean, he's completely exasperated. And you do not think right when you are deprived of, of certain needs of your body. Like when, when you are that hungry, you're not thinking in the right mind. And so Jacob took advantage of his weakness for a moment of personal gain. I, I want us to really understand what Jacob is doing. He's not just being a snot-nosed brother. He's doing something truly wrong when he takes advantage of Esau and his weakness. And so we see from the moment of his birth to this big moment now that Jacob does not treat Esau like a fair brother. It's one thing for siblings to fight, but it's another thing for siblings to be at such ends to where in this moment, it, Jacob is, is, is just taking advantage of his brother. And the big story for Jacob and Esau is in a moment where his father said, I'm going to get ready to give you my blessing. Go and get some wild game. And it goes, the story goes on in Genesis chapter 27, verse 5 through 6. It says, But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to her, his son Esau. So when Esau left to hunt for the wild game, she said to her son Jacob, Listen, I overheard your father say to Esau. So in this moment, Rebekah, Esau's mom, makes a plan to betray her own son. And she, she wants Jacob, her favorite, to receive her, the father's blessing instead of Esau. And I think that this is really key because you're seeing betrayal from a brother and now you're seeing betrayal from a mother. You're seeing some traumatic events out, uh, play out in a couple of sentences. But think about what it would actually feel like to experience that real betrayal from the people that you ought to trust the most. And it, it says that in the moment, in the next chapter in 2730, it says, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt, and Esau prepared a delicious meal, brought to the father, and then he said, Sit up, my father, eat wild game, you give me your blessing. But Isaac asked him, Who are you? And he said, It's your son, your firstborn son, Esau. And in this moment, his father realizes that he's been tricked. He's blind, so he doesn't really know who he gave the blessing to. He tried to make sure, but he was tricked. And it says that when he, Esau heard his father's words, he let out a loud and bitter cry. Oh, my father, what about me? Bless me too. He begged. 
But Isaac said, your brother was here and he tricked me. He has taken away your blessing. And Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob, for now he has cheated me twice. First he took my rights as firstborn, and now he's stolen my blessing. Oh, haven't you saved even one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I have made Jacob your master and have declared that all of his brothers will be his servants. I've guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What is left for me to give you, my son? Esau pleaded, but do you have only one blessing? Oh, my father, bless me too. And then Esau broke down and wept. See, in this moment, that, that was a big passage, a big story that I want us to really understand the background of Esau. The last thing we just read was that Esau broke down and he wept. This is a very bitter moment for Esau to where not only does he feel like his future is crushed, feels like his hopes are crushed, he feels like his family is crushed. Think about how in this moment you would no longer feel like you're a part of the family. You would no longer feel the same in the in the, the home that you live at. You wouldn't feel the same with your brother. You wouldn't feel the same with your mother. And you'd feel like this, uh, this immense emotion with with everything that you're living with in this household and now with that backdrop i want us get to understand how this kind of trauma it can it, we can be consumed by bitterness see bitterness permeates into every relationship and for esau this is definitely a great opportunity for him to get bitterness esau was fighting with his brother before they were even born and for whatever reason they lived with this constant friction but notice that we never read about esau doing something wrong to jacob we only have read what jacob has done to esau there's no recorded evidence there's no recorded moments of esau doing anything ill will to his brother Jacob. Not one time in scripture. And to think about how that kind of pain would affect Esau to his core. But on top of that, we see this extreme favoritism with his parents to the point that his own mother plans for him to fail. In order for her favorite to win, he has to fail. And the, the pain caused from a sibling, that goes deep. Okay, this pain caused from your own sibling that can go deep into your soul, but the pain caused by your own mother, I think that that is probably one of the hardest things to heal from. And Esau's story shows a clear and undeserved emotional trauma inflicted by the people closest to him. And when we suppress trauma, we, we, it tends to leak out into everything else. It seems that for Esau, he tried to take out his frustrations through hunting, through physical exercise, and romantic relationships. We see in Genesis 26, 34 through 35, at the age of 40, Esau married two Hittite wives, Judith, the daughter of Beeri, and Basimeth, the daughter of Elon. But Esau's wives made life miserable for Isaac and Rebekah. So the reason I want to share this is for us to unpack that we know that Esau's a physical hunter. He, he likes physical exercise to the point where he'll be outside all day, lose track of time, and forget to eat. And now we see that he not only pursues one wife, but two wives. That he is 
he has all of these drives within himself that show a type of extremity. He's going to the extremes on things. And what I see is a man that is leaking out bitterness. He is leaking out rage and trying to output it through some of these ways that seem seemingly healthy. But no matter what, while these things may help distract us from that inner pain, it doesn't make it go away. For Esau, it doesn't make it go away. For you and I, no matter how much we distract ourselves, whether it's through good distractions, seemingly, or bad distractions, it doesn't make the pain go away. And eventually that bitterness, that bitterness is going to bleed into whatever relationship or hobby we find. Because at the end of the day, the pain is still there eating at you from the inside. And the moment that you are triggered unintentionally by someone, you're going to lash out as him as if they're the ones that caused the trauma. It, and this will continue to happen again and again, whether it's your friendships, your romantic relationships, or even in the workplace. You're going to have these build-up moments and these outlash moments because until you deal with the bitterness and forgiving, you need to let it go. It, until you deal with that, you're going to have that bitterness bleeding out. I'll share a personal example for me. For uh, There's moments in my childhood where I had some extreme neglectment. I remember moments where, uh, uh, moments where uh, most, a lot, a big part of my childhood where I would even steal for food or when I, whenever I was at home, if I wasn't sleeping outside and I was at a home, there's a lot of times where I was just most of the time making my own food, survival of the fittest. And I remember years later, it, again, this may seem like trivial stuff for, for uh, if we were to try to compare traumas, but for me, it was one thing, one thing that went deep. And years later, I'm married to my wife. We're now, at the time, we're, we're several years married. And there was a moment where we had this big day at the park, and I had a moment like Esau. I was like, man, I'm dying of starvation. And I remember when we were getting out of the car, this is even before we had kids, and my wife said, oh man, I'm about to make a sandwich. And I, I just giddily said, oh, can you make me one too? And she looked back at me and said, you can make your own sandwich, <laughs> right? And she thought it was like funny, like we, we, we're both getting home at the same time. And see, it made sense. But in that moment, unjustly, I got so triggered and I got so angry because not at, it, wasn't, it wasn't necessarily this moment that I have any reason to feel this anger but because it triggered me all the way back into the childhood in, in the moments where there was no food in the house, in the moments where I, I, didn't, I felt neglected, in the moments where I didn't feel like anyone would uh, necessarily care about me and I had to uh, survive on my own. And see, in the simple moment, my trauma bled through. Years later, my trauma bled through because no matter how much I tried to press it down, the mo no matter how much I tried to forget about it, until I would actually be able to experience forgiveness, it is still there. And it makes me think about how so often when we're inflicted with trauma, it's almost like being like stabbed. We're stabbed emotionally in our lives. And when you leave it there, when you leave that wound that in, in your soul, with that obstruction, that infliction, it cannot heal until it's taken out. But in order to take it out, that means that you have to let go of that bitterness. You have to let go of that object, that situation, that person, and you have to let go of it 
because it has to exit your soul. It has to get out of your soul for your your body, your 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 emotional state of being to start the healing process. And if not, that bitterness will bleed through every relationship. We see that in Esau's life and the fact that his household is it seems like it, it's the way that it describes is that life was miserable. It's not because Isaac's wife had just horrible taste in or not, sorry, it's not because Esau just had horrible taste in women, is because of this bitterness that was affecting all of his relationships, including his marriage, including with his family. Now that we understand how bitterness can consume us and it can and bleed into every part of every healthy relationship, now let's look at being emotionally trapped. Bitterness emotionally traps you with the person you can't forgive. Let me say that one more time. Bitterness emotionally traps you with the person that you can't forgive. Genesis 27:41 says from that time on Esau hated Jacob because their father had given Jacob the blessing and Esau began to scheme. I will soon be mourning my father's death. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now, now we can really see that this bitterness is going pretty deep. He's now contemplating murder. And it says that he is scheming. It's not just him talking trash. Like he's very much considering that he's going to physically kill his brother. And the only thing that he's waiting for is he doesn't, at this point, he doesn't care about what his mother thinks because he's betrayed by his mother too. But he just wants to save his father the sake of mourning his son. And so he says, once my father dies, the only person I feel like loves me, I'm going to kill my brother. And see, holding on to that sense of bitterness is subconsciously holding on to the idea of revenge. That, no matter what that, that looks like for you, it, you may not have any plans of actually doing something like Esau. You, but maybe you're longing to hear that something bad has happened to them. You're longing to hear uh, misfortune fall upon this person. And you feel like you will be happy once you hear about something bad happening to them. See, you end up surrendering the opportunity to be happy regardless of what may or may not happen to them. So in the meantime, you end up just stuck in unhappiness because of your bitterness. And soon, if you don't let go, you will begin making choices based off of that person. You're going to be making choices based off of the person you can't forgive that, that you should be forgetting about. For Esau, this is, it shows in his relationships. It shows in his marriages. It says in Genesis 28, 6-9, Esau knew that his father Jason, Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him to Pat, Paddan Aram to find a wife, and he had... that he had warned Jacob, you must not marry a Canaanite woman like Esau. He also knew that Jacob had obeyed his parents and gone to Padanaram. And it was now very clear to Esau that his father did not like the local Canaanite women. So Esau visited his uncle Ishmael's family and married one of Ishmael's daughters in addition to the wives he already had. His new wife's name was Mahalath, and she was the sister of Nebioth the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son. So in the scene, what Jacob's mom does, she realizes that uh, Esau is going to kill Jacob. And so she 
conspires this idea to send Jacob away to her, to her relative so that he can, with the guise of go marry someone here so that your brother doesn't kill you. And now Esau is under the impression everything I do is wrong. You see, has Esau really done anything wrong yet? No, not from the surface, not from what we've read. It, it, whether, whether his wives were poor choices or not, maybe he should have just stuck with one. That would have caused a lot less problems in the home. But here we see him hasn't done anything clearly like morally wrong like his brother. And yet he feels like he's in the wrong. Do you see how that bitterness has followed him? How he's emotionally trapped and he ends up making such a big decision. He goes and marries another wife solely because of his brother. Solely because of his desire to, uh, uh, solely because of his desire to not be forgotten by his father, to not be overlooked by his father. And he's trying to compare himself to the person that hurt him. I, mean, I, I feel like for me, this, this part of Esau's story is, is so depressing is so sad because i see this man that is so desperately trying to get the affection and love and attention of his parents and even though his mom has betrayed him he still desires her love too and he's making these decisions based off of all of these traumatic events in his life and esau for from his big life decisions around the very people that that hurt him the most he he, he literally is carrying the people with him in every decision that he's making in his life. And he ends up making his own prison. He traps himself with the people he couldn't forgive. And holding on to those people is only giving them power. He only ends up giving them power over his life. In the same way, the people that you don't forgive, you're, you're giving them power to how you feel. You're allowing them to control your happiness. You're allowing them to control how you feel today. And, but releasing them is really taking back the key in order to get you out of this prison that you've locked yourself in. It, the, it's the only way to get in which you have been. It, it's the only way to be able to get unstuck. It's the only way to get out of this place where you're carrying them with you everywhere you go. I mean, just think about someone that is bitter. Anyone that you know. And it's almost as if in their day-to-day -day conversation, they still carry that person. I mean, how many people have you, have you met where they, had a, they end up having a really bad falling out in their marriage, got divorced, and they're still talking about the spouse that they hate? It's been years, and they're still talking about them. And they carry the person that hurt them with them everywhere they go. But if you were to forgive, if you're able to let go, you're able to truly be free. You don't have to be stuck with the person that hurt you when you forgive. Now, on that note, everything that we're talking about is pointing to forgiveness and the fact that there is freedom for our trauma and forgiveness. That freedom brings about healing because redemption is better than revenge. Everything in Esau's story is burdened with trauma and bitterness and rage. But his ending was actually a lot better than the beginning. Because in his greatest moment of betrayal and despair, his father gave him a piece of advice that would guide him and help him to be able to unlock a blessed life where he didn't have to be stuck any longer. And it is found in the right after it says that Esau broke down and wept. That moment where he has his bitter weeping from his betrayal. It says Genesis 27, 39 through 40. says, finally, his father Isaac said to him, 
And the fact that it says finally, it just shows that Esau was crying for a hot minute. You will live far away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of the heaven above. You will live by your sword and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. This is one of the most powerful verses in scripture right there. And the power behind it, it presents you with the power to break free. It presents you with the decision, the choice to have freedom. When it says, when you decide to break free, he's talking to Esau. When you decide to break free, all of these things don't have to happen to you. Showing that when you allow yourself, it shows that when you allow yourself to forgive, you are actually liberating yourself from that person's grasp. Through forgiveness, you are able to empower yourself to live a blessed life despite your trauma. You're able to be happy despite your trauma. You're able to have freedom despite your trauma. It doesn't mean that it went away, but see, forgiveness it is allowing that final healing to start in your life. And I feel like it's just like how I described earlier, it being like symbolic to a physical injury. And see, with physical injury, it will produce a scar after it's healed. See, it can be better, but it, it may still feel sensitive to touch. It may still, you may still remember it when you look at it. When you look down back at your life, you'll remember it. It'll feel a little sensitive, but you will still be healed. And Forgiveness, it's really simple. See, we make forgiveness so complicated sometimes, and we think that we're not allowed to have feelings through that forgiveness. See, you can forgive and still be angry. You can forgive and still feel emotional about it. Forgiveness is a decision. It's a decision to let that person go. It, I'd imagine it like this. It, if you could say God standing before you, he saw everything that was done wrong to you. And if he were to bring that person before you on judgment day and say, I saw everything, I saw everything they did and I can punish them right here on your behalf. Do you want me to do that? Forgiveness is saying, God, they're in your hands. Whatever you see best, I don't want to have a part in it. I forgive them. It is simply telling God that I don't want them to be punished because of what they did to me. I'm choosing to be free from that. And that is as simple as forgiveness gets. Will you, would you be able to say that through tears? Maybe. It, it doesn't matter if it, it, how much it hurts or how hard it is to, for you to, to get to that point. But just, just know that that's as simple as it gets of making a clear decision to God and saying, I forgive them. And if you feel sour about it later. It doesn't mean that you haven't forgiven them. It just means that, man, it still hurts. And you don't have to have this constant confusion about whether or not you have forgiven someone. If you feel any tore up about it, you just tell God again, God, I just want to remind myself and I want to reiterate to you, reaffirm to you that I have forgiven this person. I still hurt. It still hurts me right now, but I don't want this bitterness in my life. So I give them to you. I release them. And I want, I want to be clear that just because you forgive them, what you're saying is, I am giving away justice. You are giving mercy. That's what it is. That's, it's like in the name, forgiveness. And, and you are giving up justice in that moment. It does not mean that there will not be justice. God is a just judge. And so anybody that has 
you have forgiven or that you need to forgive it. It doesn't mean that they're not going to be, in a sense, punished by God for, for their own actions. That All you're doing is you're saying that's between you and God. It's not between me anymore. And I want us to look at the last part for Esau in his life because, see, that we see in Genesis 33, this the story continues on, and it has a moment where Jacob is coming back to his homeland and his brother Esau hears about it. And Jacob has has been gone for 14 years now. And he's finally about to see his brother. And remember, the last thing Esau said was, I'm going to kill him. And now Jacob, who has lived a life of hurting people, a life of deceiving people, betraying people, tricking people, It says, right now, then Jacob went on ahead, and as he approached his brother, he bowed to the ground seven times before him. Then Esau ran to meet him and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they both wept. Man, that is a really, really powerful moment of forgiveness. I, I would imagine that this is not where Esau forgave him. Esau forgave him a long time ago. But this is a moment where his forgiveness has been built up so much to where now, I imagine all the times where he's had to make those little prayers like, God, I feel emotional about it, but I give him to you. I give him to you. He's, it's in your hands. Think about all the times where he, he might have felt triggered, but he released it. He prayed about it. And now in this moment, he has this, this real opportunity to face his oppressor. And his forgiveness is so powerful that he does the opposite of what any one of us would want to do. He embraces him and has compassion on him. And it shows that in this part of the story that he had full power to overtake Jacob. He could have destroyed everything of Jacob's in this moment. But instead he had mercy and compassion on his brother and he embraced him. See, in in their first moments of seeing each other again, God shows Esau the power of redemption through his forgiveness. And the brother whom he declared he would kill the next time he saw him, he instead embraces. And Esau, he had all of the emotional courage and the power in this scene. See, it went from Jacob having power over Esau all of his life. And now in this moment, because of forgiveness, Esau has all the power. Esau has the control. And we see that On the flip script, Jacob is trapped in fear. He's trapped in guilt. And emotionally, Esau forgave. But for Jacob, he lived in this constant paranoia because of his consistent selfish actions. See, Jacob is now the one trapped in a prison while Esau is just living his best life. And we see that in Genesis 33, 16-17, what happens next is says... uh, Esau says, all right, come back home. We have so much to catch up on. And Jacob tricks him and says, no, you gotta go on ahead. I'll catch up. And says, so Esau turned around and started back to Seir the same day. Jacob, on the other hand, traveled on to Succoth, which is the complete opposite direction. There he built himself a house and made shelters for his livestock. And that is why the place is named Succoth, which means shelters. See, Esau, he goes back to his blessed life in which he is a free man. He, he, see, even after this moment, even though Jacob tricks him one last time, it doesn't bother Esau. He just goes on. He moves on. Meanwhile, Jacob, 
He's running in fear to the and to only have repercussions of revenge follow him through his sons. See, right after this moment, you think that Esau is going to have revenge on him. Well, the very next chapter, we see this whole scene play out to where his sons take revenge for their sister and so much so much bloodshed for the revenge that they took to where Jacob is terrified and living in uh, being paranoid because he's now afraid that everyone is going to be out to get them because of the revenge they sought after. Meanwhile, Esau is over here seeking redemption. Jacob f- finds revenge. Esau finds redemption. Esau is the only one that isn't letting others control his actions. It, it's In the last moment, we see Genesis 35, 27 through 29. See, I've heard some preachers say that they think that Esau was going to kill him. Then this moment that he didn't really forgive, that, that he was going to kill him, that it was wise for Jacob to trade. But this is why I don't believe that. This, is, this verse right here, these verses is why I believe Esau truly forgave his brother way before they met again. And it's because it says in 27 through 29 of chapter 35, it says, So Jacob returned to his father Isaac and Mamre, which is near Kiriath Arba, now called Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had both lived as foreigners. And Isaac lived for 180 years, and then he breathed his last and died at a ripe old age, joining his ancestors in death. And look what it says. It says, And his sons Esau and Jacob buried him. The last thing Esau said when his heart was full of rage, when his heart was full of bitterness, I will kill him once my father dies. Even after Jacob tricked him, even after Jacob lied to him and went the complete opposite direction, we see them reunited at their father's grave. Esau doesn't kill Jacob. Esau continues just as he was because he was able to live in freedom through forgiveness. And sometimes redemption through forgiveness, it frees you from that trauma. See, we see that so clearly in Esau that he is free from trauma. But sometimes it's even able to salvage those broken relationships. It's able to restore potential and meaning from the relationships that, that were completely burned down. And see, they, the Esau and Jacob, they might not have been best friends, but Esau was able to bury his father in peace with a clear conscience. He had no regrets in that moment. He had no he had no worries like he did at the beginning of the story where he's constantly wondering what 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 do I need to do now? Now he's living a life of forgiveness and he's able to find redemption despite his trauma because he wasn't stuck in any of it anymore. And I want to be clear in saying that when it comes to redemption and this, this part about me saying that, that there's able to, we're able to find redemption even in broken relationships, I want to be clear in saying that I'm not telling you to go back to somebody that abused you. I'm not saying that. What I am saying is that there are times where there's redemption possible in relationships. You don't have to call up your ex. You don't have to go to anybody that, that hurt you. You don't, definitely don't go to anybody that, that sexually abused you. I'm not saying that. But... What I am saying is like a moment for me, I remember a moment for me was in which I found forgiveness and redemption was through my father. And growing up, we did not have at all a close relationship. 
there, there's a lot of a, a, a lot of silence and also a lot of rage and anger, even violence. And there's there's just this big chasm between me and my dad. And there's even a specific moment in which I remember where he disowned me and I disowned him. We both said, I don't have a dad. And he said, I don't have a son. And be that as it may, once I gave my life to Christ and I found the power of forgiveness and I found the power of redemption, not only did I find healing from childhood traumas, but I remember in the, uh, the very first moment in which I attempted to find a minuscule, slightest sliver of hope of redeeming this broken relationship. And let me tell you, it did not change overnight. But I remember the day that I made the decision to forgive my dad. And I know that I needed forgiveness through other things too. But I remember I made this decision to forgive. And now, I, I mean, we, we used to literally never talk. Could be in the same house and wouldn't talk to each other. And now I feel like uh, I, I almost want to call him every day. I talk to him every single week. And if I ever have someone that I want to uh, be a cheerleader for me, if I ever get really good news, the first person I want to call is my dad. We have such a healthy and, and good relationship now when before it seemed impossible, but it's all through the power of forgiveness. And whatever it is for you, whoever you need to forgive, again, I, I want to be clear in saying, I'm not telling you to go back to anyone that abused you. Forgiveness is so powerful on its own. And Maybe throughout this, this whole message, you also realize that we need forgiveness. You need forgiveness. And if you've never had a, a moment in which you've received the forgiveness for your sins through Jesus Christ. I mean, that's why he died on the cross. It's because we have all been transgressors of God through our sin. And Jesus was the first to forgive us. He was the first to have compassion and mercy and embrace us. When he could have destroyed us, he embraced us. Think about all the times where you've probably know that you should have been dead, but God saved you. His compassion and mercy is great. And if you've never had a moment in which you've received that forgiveness, the Bible says in the book of Romans that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is who he says he is, surely you shall be saved. What it's saying is if you have that simple conversation with him with a genuine heart, that's all it takes to start this relationship. It, it, talk to him yourself. Acknowledge who he is, the son of God that died on the cross and rose from the dead, and simply have that conversation today. You don't need me to lead you through a pretty prayer. You can talk to him yourself. So if that is you, I really encourage you to have that conversation today. Don't let another day go by. All that being said, I'm so grateful for you guys being a part of this message today. I hope that it was meaningful for you. I hope that it was edifying to your soul. If, if you want to help, if you want to continue to help Gravetop to make an impact on others, like this message has made an impact on you, you can do that by going to gravetop.com and click the donate tab and you're able to donate online. On the topic of giving, we never want anyone to feel pressured or persuaded to give when they don't want to. It's something to be done out of your own heart, not out of pressure or persuasion or compulsion. It, it, God loves a cheerful giver, so don't give out of compulsion. But if that is on your heart, it is a simple act of worship. Generosity is, it makes our hearts more like God's and the fact that he first gave to us through his son. And when you give, not only is it an act of worship, it also truly makes a difference for our church. It helps provide the needs of, 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 for our means to be able to continue to make ministry happen. So again, all that being said, you're able to do that by going to gravetopchurch.com and click the donate tab. 
Thank you guys so much for being a part of today's online service. We love you so much. Have a great rest of your day.